All right, today we have uh, Joey Chi. I mean, Barry Atua. Um, <laughs> slander, absolute slander. Is it is it Barry Atua or Barriata? Barry Atua. Okay, yeah, you got it right. we thought, yeah. but we didn't mm-hmm. know. Okay. Um, <laughs> Joe is on the, the Tin Man team. Uh, you you know him, you love him, and uh, yeah, we're ready to get into it. So, uh, yeah, what's going on? With me? God, I just got done with the run. Um, beautiful day in Boulder, did some hurdling, getting ready for um, a steeplechase in, in Budapest, Hungary on September 6th, I think, so um yeah where i'm gonna make like a whole europe trip sam and i are leaving sunday and he's gonna train we're gonna train in st moritz for a bit um while he gets ready for european champs and i'm just gonna bum out out there and then uh basically just get ready for that that budapest race and in early september to end my season so i'm still i'm still going um i'm tired (laughs) but it's been fun that'll be cool that's where worlds is next year right some budapest yes yeah, I don't I don't know if it's in the same stadium or if it's in like where they've hosted big meets before, but or if it's like right outside of Budapest, but I know it's at least close by. So we'll see. I don't even know the name of the meet yet. Just our agent was just like, yeah, there's a race in like near Budapest. So I was like, cool, like I'll be there. <laughs> we'll get details later. Have you been uh, the same rates before? No. No, I um, haven't. This where are you guys staying? Uh, I think we're staying in like the town, like a, like a ski resort town, like a little bit South, I think. I'm not sure what it's called, to be honest. Sam's been doing a lot of the coordinating for that, but um, yeah, it'll be my first time in Europe in general. So uh, I've only been out of the country once. I went to Costa Rica with my family after graduation in 2018. So um, I've always wanted to go to Europe and, and race out there and kind of live the whole experience of like that pro running in Europe circuit. So I'm just sending it this year. Cause I'm getting old and I might not have too many of those left. That's like my ideal running scenario. It's just yeah. live the professional runner lifestyle in Europe compared to the professional runner lifestyle in the U S oh, it sounds, it sounds, I mean, who knows? Like maybe, maybe the Europeans think like the opposite where like they think that, cause you know, a lot of Europeans come here to train and like flag stuff and stuff. So maybe they think the other way, but it just seems so much more relaxed out there right? and just like, Exactly. It seems a little more off the cuff. Like you don't know if you're going to get into the meet until like two days before, but you just <laughs> send it anyways. Like you just go out there. And I think like the diversity of racing in terms of like, there's very, you know, there's like a, as like, you know, Josh Kerr would say like the Americans race a very specific way. And there's like a very, you know, it's kind of predictable when you go into a race in, in the U S but I'd like to think that like, if you're in Europe and you're racing against like a guy from Finland and then a guy from, maybe Ethiopia and the guy from Italy, like there's going to be different racing styles. Like, you know, I've heard that, you know, I think everybody knows that the East Africans and championship races, like basically fart like the race where like one lapse is 67, one lapse is 62 and a 5k, you know, and it's, it's like, there's no telling when that's going to be, you know, I'm sure that some of like the, like Norwegians and Finnish or like Danish guys are like a little bit more physical on the track. Like they're not afraid to shove people around, like, you know, so I'm really looking forward to, kind of figuring out what that's like and kind of getting a better idea of what it's like to race people from across the world rather than just like, you know, people from the U S or people that have been, you know, grew up in the U S training in the U S racing in the U S. Yeah. It's funny. My dad and I were watching worlds together and we were talking about like a few specific races in which it looked like, like U S guys just didn't race well, mm-hmm. and like specifically the men's eight. And I was like, my argument was that, we're so used to these, like, like you said, these specific racing styles, like the, the US 800 traditionally run the same way. Like NCAs is usually won the same time. US yeah. usually won the same time. It's usually won in the same way. It's truthfully not that like, exciting anymore, but yeah. we're talking about like why that might be true. And I was like, well, everyone else, the racing has been racing in Europe and been racing in other places the entire summer leading up to it, rather than being like the US core just raced in the US. And I understand like Brandon Miller, different situation. But for sure, yeah. So much more, and they just keep racing, you know, other world talents rather than like just purely racing Americans all the time. Yeah, I feel like I, I guess like the prime example I think of that with middle distance running is like what I've seen just firsthand is like Corey McGee, for example. Like she's someone that has obviously like she's proven herself. She's made two world championships in a row, or like made the Olympics and then made the world championships this year. And I think 
you know, granted, maybe I just wasn't paying attention before, but I feel like she's been doing a lot more racing in Europe, um, you know, during the season, which is obviously super difficult. Like if you're a 5k guy, it might, or 10k guy, it might be way more difficult to do versus an 800 or a 1500. But when you learn those tactics of, you know, what it's like to race people from all over, you know, like I'm not saying just because one person from Ethiopia races a certain way means everybody's going to race a certain way, but it kind of, it opens your eyes to like the possibilities of what could happen in a race. And she's been crushing it, you know, like she's, she's played, she plays super well. Like I know she said she was a little disappointed with the result, but like, damn, if you get like top 10 in the world in any event, like that's, that's pretty good. You know, like she's ranked top 15 in the world. Like she's clearly proven herself. And I think just like that more worldly experience of racing against people, not just from the U S has really helped her cause just because she's able to get through those rounds. Now she kind of knows, maybe she doesn't know what to expect per se, but she knows all scenarios that could happen. Cause I'm sure I'm going to go into racing in Europe and something's going to be thrown out at me that like, you know, maybe like something in a steeple, like just the way that they attack the barriers or the way that, you know, maybe some of the guys go over water pits is different than what you'd see in the U S. So I'm just looking forward to that and like having that be another little bit like part of like a repertoire of like knowing what to expect when you race just so there's no surprises when it comes to, you know, 400 to go. Yeah. Have you done anything differently in preparing for European races or just training the same? No. So pretty much uh, after USA's like Drew Sam and I ran that mile in LA, which was a lot of fun. Um, so I was pretty much training like a 15 guy for a couple of weeks, uh, just doing a lot of like speed work for me. And then I went back and ran a steeple at sound. Um, and it didn't go too well. I ran 835. So six seconds off my, my PB. And, um, I think the difference between, you know, that and having a good race was that I just wasn't training for the steeple specifically, you know, like, I feel like I've been training basically for the 5k all year. Um, and I think I've found as I go that I'm a very like it's like a very, like, I'm very practical when it comes to my training and how it correlates with my racing. So, you know, I run 1500 training with Drew and Sam for a couple of weeks. And next thing you know, I like, you know, I was a four flat miler going in the season. Now I can run 357 and it felt, it didn't feel like easy per se, but it felt very manageable. So now I'm thinking like, man, I should really like, if I want to crush the steeple, like I have to be a, like a steepler. I have to train for a steeple. It's not training for a 5k anymore. So I think my approach is like more steeple focus rather than just general fitness focus, like I was doing for most of the season. So a lot more hurdling, a lot more mobility work, um, and just like mentally just getting ready to suffer, you know, just knowing, cause every steeple sucks, you know, and sometimes when you do a different race, it, you kind of forget how much a steeple sucks. So, uh, just trying to lock into that mindset, um, before September 6th. How did you become a steepler? Like, how did the steeple become your primary event? I feel like a lot of different steeplers have a different way in which that happened. Yeah. I mean, it's always been an interesting event. I started my junior year of college. I was redshirting. Um, and I, you know, I've been bringing it up to my, my college coach for, for a couple of years. Like, Hey, what do you think about the steeple? And he's like, not a fucking chance you're running the steeple. Like I was, you know, I had a really successful freshman season at the 1500. I was a 417 guy in high school. Next, you know, I was running, 349 for 1500 my freshman year. So I made a huge jump and I was like, I, I had broke the Santa Clara school record, which was, you know, it was 350. So it wasn't good, but you know, being a freshman, like breaking a school record, like, you know, I couldn't fit my head into most rooms and um, you know, pretty much after that season, like I kind of stopped progressing in the 1500. I don't know what happened. I don't know if it was my mindset. I don't know if it was distractions outside of running. I don't know if it was my training, but whatever happened I just wasn't performing well so um yeah my junior track season I redshirted and I asked my coach like hey what do you think about maybe going to the steeple and he's like well like you know that might be our best shot to make it to regionals you know your fifth year because it was it you know back in the day like 20 you know 2014 2015 when I first came to Santa Clara we only had two guys ever qualified for the regional meet you know not even nationals like regionals was a big deal so that was kind of my goal was let's get to regionals at least once. And we thought that, you know, I had good speed with the 1500. There was no doubt about that. And I was starting to develop some good strength off of mileage from, um, you know, just big training in general. And so we just tried it out and I really loved it. And so we just kind of went from there and I've just been doing it ever since pretty much. Do you think uh, like 
the U.S. high school level should implement steeple in every state? Do you think that would help uh, kind of like nurture steeplers in the country? Yeah, it, I mean, it, I think, you know, like, correct me if I'm wrong, but Parker was a steepler in high school, right? Like he was, wasn't he like a national champion in the steeple? Yeah, yeah. And we had yeah, like from New York too. So we had steeple there. And then Oregon. Yeah, like, no shit. Jersey, good, yeah. Jersey doesn't have steeple at right. all. Like I yeah. think my, uh, my high school is building a new facility right now. And they're going to be like, there's going to be one of like four steeple pits in New Jersey. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, I think it would be great to have steeples in high school. Um, it's definitely tough on the body. I don't think it's like any tougher than, um, you know, like what a cross country race would be per se. Like, I feel like I usually feel the same after a, you know, 10, 8K or 10K cross country race than I do after, a, you know, as I do after a steeple. And um, I think it'd be awesome. It's definitely a great way to introduce kids early on and see if that's something that they truly want. I think we are seeing, you know, um, a shift in the event in general where it's not just the guys who can't run the 5K or can't run the 15. Like, there are steeplechase specialists who are like, they're really good at this. And there's a reason why they do this. Um, you know, I feel like Evan Jager was maybe one of those first guys for the, for the U S was, you know, like he was, he's a 333, 15, 13, 5 K guy. And he's like, Nope, that's just like better chops for me going into a steeple. Like I'm a steeple specialist. And I think we're seeing like a greater shift in that where like guys could do other events if they want, but like, they know that they're the best at the steeple and that we can be, you know, competitive on the world stage in that respect. So um, I think the earlier that we can, you know, I think it's worth like having a 15 or 16 year old try the steeple just to see if that's something that they enjoy to see if that's something that they can attack mentally. Cause it is a really tough event, but um, you know, like a lot of people come into it late as well and develop late. Uh, one of the, one of the big things that uh, I learned last year, it was from uh, Heron Lagat, who's a former steeplechaser. You're in like 810 to 815 or something like that um, back in the day. And he's the coach for a lot of the guys that used to train. It's called peak distance lead, I think. It's just like the guys that used to train with WCAP. He said, like, you just get better as you get older. It's such a technical event and it's such like a strength based event that like, the more you train, the more miles you put in, like the better you're going to get. So you'll see guys running really well, you know, like for example, like Hillary Bohr is like getting into his thirties now and he's doing pretty well. Like he's an 808 guy in his late thirties and he's still, you know, he's still holding on running like very fast times. And, you know, I just hold on to that idea as well that like you can keep progressing. It's not like a 15 guy when you're done at like 28, 29, you know, like you can keep getting better because there's so much to learn from the event. So I think the earlier that kids can start, you know, the better when it comes to running in high school, as we see with Parker, like he's, he's an animal at the steeple now. And I think having a couple years of doing it in high school, just like it, first off, like it definitely like, as you keep getting older and you keep running, I feel like you start developing bad habits that could lead to injuries and steeple is really tough to like correct those bad habits when you get into it late, you know? So if you're doing something early and you're doing it correctly early, like you're going to be pretty efficient, you know, Parker's not like a 400 or like a 110 hurdler by any means when it comes to jumping over the barriers, but he's super efficient when he does it. And I think that's a huge advantage that he has over, you know, some other guys that, you know, may be as good at him on like the flat, but, um, just like lack a little bit of experience. And I think that's something that he probably gained from high school, you know? For sure. I mean, yeah. It, yeah. the exposure to it, like it, I think there's no doubt about it leads to a better progression or an easier progression at doing it. Just like the same thing as like, if you learn good racing tactics at a young age, you're going to sharpen them as you get older. For Where sure. If, yeah. If you have, if you start learning, you, you have bad racing tactics like, when you're older, that's, it's very difficult to change. Yeah. Have you guys ever raced steeple? I nope. And one steeple out of desperation because I had had COVID and then been hurt. We're like, okay, like steeple's oh, probably God. like the the most shallow event to make regionals in. Let's mm -hmm. see what I could run. And we don't own a water pit at school. So I had never been yeah. able to water pit before. We just kind of done some jumps in the grass, basically. Yeah. <laughs> had like no no idea no conception of how deep a steeple pit is and first water jump like you know the feeling where you go down the stairs and you think you're going to hit another stair yeah one right that rolled my ankle i think i pulled out like 2k in a little short of 2k oh in. god and ever since then i've been running the eight so i think that kind of 
Yeah. The writing was on the wall there. That maybe steeple wasn't for me. It's a bitch, man. It's a total bitch. Like I can't, I have never been able to train with a water pit, which I feel like is another like bit of like the reason why I'm still so optimistic about that. I can keep progressing. It's like, I can't even like go over a water jump and my water jumps. Like last year it was great. Like, I think I was really efficient this year. It was just garbage. And I feel like training, like being able to train and go over a water pit would have really helped me out. You know, just because like it takes so much out of your legs and just to be a little bit more mentally or physically callous to that could mean a couple of seconds, you know, like very important seconds. Like, as we all know, like qualifying for U.S. championships and the Olympic trials nowadays, it's hard, man. Like there's a lot of good guys that like can get after it. So any second counts. Yeah, I've never seen someone train over the water pit. Now that you mention it, I feel like that'd be a good thing to do. I mean, Parker doesn't like his only access to water pits all season are other races. The races, right, yeah. yeah. I feel yeah. like if you do like 200 repeats with a water pit, that'd be a good idea. Well, I don't, I don't know close. if you guys, this is like a bit of a throwback. Well, first off, I know like considering that like, like very nice hat, very nice track club in, in Ann Arbor has access to the Michigan track. I know Mason every now and then will do some water pit jumps mid workout, but um there was an old flow track workout Wednesday video and I'm totally blanking on the guy's name. It's with one of the NAU guys, like the OG, the OG, like NAU steepler basically would do like 800 repeats, but the second 400 was like basically kicking over hurdles in the water jump. Oh, geez. Like, and he have, it was like, I forget the exact workout, but it was, and the name's on the tip of my tongue and I'm just blanking on it, but it's like, like Caleb Hoover. Caleb Hoover. Yeah. That's who it was. Yeah. Yeah. He was like, he was like an 835 guy in college. Um, he was one of the better guys in the NCAA back in the day. Um, this was like, probably, he's probably running, he's probably upper class from when I was like a freshman or sophomore. So I, he probably graduated like 2014 or so, but, or 2015, but yeah, he would do workouts and go over the water pit, like in the middle of the workout, like kicking, like trying to run like 60 flat which is so hard, you know, <laughs> like it's, it's insane. Like it's one tactic. Yeah. It's one thing to like be able to go over the hurdles fast. Like I think a lot of us could like run a fast last lap over hurdles, but that water pit just adds such a different dynamic. It's so intimidating. And like, you just got to send it, you know, if, like I've only had a couple of races where I've like truly sent it over the water jump just because it's like a, either a, big like you you know you got a big head like you you know you're racing well or you just say like fuck it i'm just gonna go so yeah it's tough you try and hurdle the last water jump or just try and get over it yeah no absolutely not no i put my foot on that barrier as much as i can um just usually i'm so trashed by the end of a steeple that i don't think i necessarily have the legs to because the thing is like you gotta first off you gotta be able to in my opinion you gotta be able to be running like 63s to like efficiently hurdle that water jump because running a 67 like right. yeah you can hurdle it but it's not really like i feel like just pushing off is just going to be a lot better because you're going to land further um in the pit so if you're running 67 and you're trying to hurdle that thing you might land a little bit deeper and that might slow you down a little bit more and also you just really need to be able to attack it like which is tough to do in the last lap like that's the hardest thing like the, the barriers are such a momentum killer that it's really hard because you always say like three steps in like three hard steps into the barrier. And that gets you like smoothly and efficiently over the barrier in the water pit. But if you're not able to do that, like if your legs are just dead, which in most cases, my legs are that like, I don't even consider it, you know, I definitely have to like try that in practice before anything else, you know, and I've heard of people getting injured in like practice or races trying to hurdle the water pit. And I just want no part of it. You know, last thing I need to do is get injured again. How is, uh, how's the coaching change you guys made at 10 men? How has that impacted you personally, like training wise? I think it's, you know, for me, it's, it's been really nice. Um, I think one of the big things that truly helped me run well in high school and college was that I was really good friends with my coaches. Um, I had a like very solid relationship with them. My high school coach, he was, he's older. So, you know, he was more of like a mentor figure to me in terms of just like keeping me motivated and telling me that I had, you know, more to give in the sport other than just running in high school, you know, he was very good at keeping me conservative and mileage low and stuff like that. So I definitely trusted him with everything I had. And then in college, I was like very, you know, my, my head coach at Santa Clara Felipe was definitely had that like mentor 
factor to it, but he was also like a very close friend where I could pretty much go to him about everything. You know, I had conversations with him about things outside of running, just like life in general. And that I think that really helped establish like a relationship of trust. And, you know, I could basically go to him about anything, whether, you know, let's say like he had a workout assigned for us. I would go into the office and be like, Hey, what do you think about? Like, I saw somebody doing this. What do you think about potentially doing this in a workout? And he'd, he'd be very receptive, whether he believed that was something that was good to do or not. He would like, he was receptive to it. And he would let me know. He'd be like, yeah, there's something we could try out. I'll look into it. Or he's like, no, like let's stick to what we're doing. And if that's something that we see is fit for some, for another day, then we do that. And so I definitely feel like I lost a little bit of that when I came out to Boulder, which was really tough. I felt like I had to like tiptoe around our old coach, which really sucked. And I was just kind of existing and just kind of doing what I was told. And, you know, like the training was great. Like, I don't doubt that coach Schwartz, like helped me get to another level of running. Um, I think it was a great stimulus to be out here in Boulder and doing what he was doing. Um, but I think from a confidence level and just from like, uh, like just being within myself level, I didn't really get like my full potential in terms of, you know, like I truly believed in myself. I truly had like a clear head about everything, you know, and, and granted, like a lot of that's like on me as well. You know, like I was definitely struggling early on being out here, not, you know, being, not being very good or not being as good as the other guys. And, you know, once coach Hunter came on, um, both Joan and Mark, they definitely like a lot, they like fostered an environment where I could come to them for whatever, you know, I can talk to them about life. I can talk to them about training. They've definitely like facilitated an environment where I feel like I'm truly comfortable and I, I could, you know, like put in my two cents, you know? So for example, with the steepling this season, you know, I feel like my hurdling is pretty efficient for the most part. Like, and I put a lot of work outside of the workouts and practice to make sure it's good. And so I, you know, I went to Joan earlier this season. I was like, Joan, I, to be honest, I feel like I really could just use some good flat 5k training this year. Like I want to be able to run a fast 5k. And I think that's the key to helping me make another big jump in the steeple, considering I am efficient over the barriers. And she said like, that's a good point. Like we're definitely still going to do some workouts over hurdles just for the mental slash like physical aspect of getting used to a steeple. But at the same time, like I agree, like, I think like getting some just general, like 5k fitness will be very beneficial as well. Like that's something I couldn't go to coach Schwartz about back in the day. Like you'd be like, you got to trust my training or you'd be like, do you not trust me or stuff like that? And it, it, you know, so now it's definitely a place where if something's on my mind, I could at least like get it out, you know, and whether, and whether or not it's viable, like coach Hunter's re receptive to it and willing to work with me through that. So for me, that's been the biggest difference. Like I'm going in the races with a clear head, knowing that I've done everything that I feel like I've needed to do to race well. And, um, I've been, you know, in terms of like my own, like self work, like I've been able to limit a lot of distractions and outside factors that shouldn't affect you going into a race. And that's definitely something I've had to work on myself. That's not something that really like a coach can help you out like hundred percent with that's something you got to work out on your own. So um, yeah, it's been a very nice transition for me. It's definitely helped me make more jumps uh, um, from a fitness perspective. I feel like every other event minus the steeple this year, I've made pretty big jumps, which is very exciting. And um, it just keeps me even more motivated to keep going, you know. For sure. That's like I've had, and I'm sure you, I mean, even more, way more so than I have. But like I've had like high school kids kind of reach out to me a, a fair amount recently, I guess now that it's like recruiting season, mm -hmm. uh, like what factored into my collegiate recruiting process and my like, decision-making. And like the big thing I've been telling the kids who've asked is like, go somewhere where your relationship with your coach is going to be incredibly positive because that's going to right. be big. Like, that's going to impact your life so much for the next four five, six years that that relationship's got to be great. I think like Shay can, Shay can agree with me. Like we're very, very lucky for the yeah. like, situation we have, you know, in relationship with our coach. But that's been like the big thing I, I feel like is it can factor so much into how you're doing, how you're performing, how you're doing mentally, where I think that's probably one of the more important things. Yeah. And granted, it's not like I really had a choice coming out of college, like who I could train with. Like I, I reached out to plenty of groups and all of them said no, pretty much. And you know, when I reached out to Parsons, he was like the only one that was like somewhat like, you know, gave me like an inkling of like an idea that I could move out here. So I was like, I'll take what I can get. And that's something I took for granted. Like I, you know, it's just something I had always had, at least with running with 
you know, I played baseball up until I was 16 and that's a whole nother situation. So maybe I should have used some experience from that, but from a running perspective, I always had like a very good relationship with my coach and it's something you take for granted. And that's like probably the best, of, you know, that's one of the best advice like bits that you could give to a high schooler. It's like, you gotta like get along with your coach. Like he, you know, whatever coaching style he, they may have, whether it's, you know, a little bit more relaxed or a little bit more serious. It's something you have to be able to resonate with because I know coaching styles that I do not resonate with at all that I've seen with other college coaches when it comes to like talking to their athletes. I'm, you know, I, I see it. I'm like, fuck that. Like I want, no, I would not want, I like wouldn't want any part of that coaching style because I'd be so unreceptive to it and it would just lead to so much friction in a coach athlete relationship, you know? So I agree hundred percent. Do you have any like specific examples of coaching styles that you don't agree with? Um, I don't like being yelled at, to be honest, especially as an adult, like, you know, ever since I got to college, like, I mean, when I was, when, when I was growing up playing baseball, like yelling was just part of the culture, like having a coach yell at you to like get your head out of your ass or just like swearing at you, you know, the, the list goes on and on. That's like, you know, basically like would get so many coaches canceled nowadays. Um, but I, I really don't respond well if a coach is yelling at me. I, I guess the, one of the good examples of it, um, was at Santa Clara. We had, um, we have two coaches at Santa Clara, um, Felipe and Pete and Pete was the assistant coach. He's now the women's head coach. Um, but back in the day he was just, you know, we had a head coach and assistant coach and that was it. And, um, Pete and Felipe would switch off in terms of uh, who was, you know, timing the men and who was timing the women. And, um, you know, Pete, Felipe was definitely a lot more relaxed, a lot more chill, especially if like the workout wasn't going right. Or if like you weren't exactly hitting the splits, Pete was definitely more of a hard ass where like, if you weren't hitting the splits, he was going to let you know about it, which, you know, worked because for the most part I could hit the splits and workouts, but there was this one workout, um, we call, I'm not sure what, if it, this is what it's called or just what we called it, but it's a workout called Ethiopian miles where basically you start off like, you know, at like tempo pace for, um, a 400 and then you drop down five seconds every lap after that. So you're basically like, for us, we were running like 440 to 450 miles, but we'd start off running like an 85 second or sorry, like an 80 second first lap. And then we do a 75 and then a 70 and then a 65. So it was like, just like a progressive, like fart, like almost where you're just getting faster and faster. And you're not feeling good it's really tough to do and one day i was just like running way too fast on the first lap i just couldn't figure it out and by the third mile i think i you know i I was probably supposed to come through like 80 and i came through like 78 and um or 77 and pete just like straight up yelled at me he's like well you better be able to like drop five seconds down every lap like you know he just like was purposely being an asshole because i wasn't doing the workout right and I just looked back at him like, and it pissed me off so much. I was like, fine, I'll do it. And I legit just like dropped five seconds every lap. And I closed in like a 57, <laughs> ran like a 420 or something like that. And he's like, all right, you proved your point, but don't ever do that again. Like he, cause he knew it pissed me off, you know? So like, I, like, I don't respond well if you're being an asshole, like I'd much rather you like, don't call me out in front of the team. Like, it's not like an ego thing. It's just like, I've respond so much better if somebody were just like pull me aside and like, just tell it to me straight, but just like do it in a way that like, is a little, you know, just respectful in my opinion. Cause like to call somebody out in front of everybody else is just, in my opinion, it's just being disrespectful. Like there's just such a better way to handle it for me. And, you know, I'd rather you shoot it to me straight. Like I don't mind hearing the hard things to hear, but I'd rather you just do it in a way that's like, just, you know, I just resonate way better with it. So yeah. Like, and that, I mean, that was only three seconds too. I feel like that's not that big of a deal. Yeah. I was just like, it was the fact that I was screwing up the entire workout. Like I couldn't hit a single split, right? Like the, the two miles before that I was running either too fast or too slow and it's a hard workout, you know? So like, ideally you could hit the splits correctly to execute the workout correctly, or else you're not going to be able to finish it. Um, and we weren't very good. So like, we kind of needed to do, you know, we weren't like super talented. Like our team wasn't talented enough to like, screw up the pacing or run too fast, you know, cause like half the time, like some of our guys couldn't finish the workout. They ran too hard early on. And so like, he was just like, he's not going to be able to finish the workout. And then, you know, I, I did the whole, you know, we did like five or I did five, you know, and that was number three, um, number three or four, but yeah, it was just one of those days where I just wasn't putting up with it. And he 
just yelled at me and like was just being an, an asshole. And I was like, nope, not today. I'm going to like purposely like go against what you say here. So. Um, okay. Do we want to get in some listener questions? Should you, Joe, you got us a lot. Just really that this Sick. might be the most out of anyone's gotten us. I think. That's awesome. Yeah. That sounds great. So, okay. The first one, hold on, let me find it again. Cause I like this one. All right. John Mario Sahara. Uh, he asked what kind of music and podcast you listen to. Uh, I'm like pretty basic when it comes to music. I really like Kanye, like no surprise. Um, Kanye is definitely one of my favorite Kanye song. No more parties in LA. Like I was listening to that probably a half hour ago. I love that song, man. Like it's just, there's just so much going on and it's so dynamic. It's just like, I I love listening to it. Like I really didn't listen to like, I wasn't really into music or like listening to specific artists growing up. Like I listened just like a lot of top 40 or just whatever was on the radio. But um, my junior year, of, my junior senior year of college is when Life of Pablo came out. And that's really when I like started deep diving into like individual artists and listening to their albums all the way through. And, um, you know, I went to the Life of Pablo concert in San Jose. Like it was, it was an experience, man. It just like opened my eyes up to the idea of like music. And so, um, and like, you know, obviously not, I don't have like this broad horizon of music, but it just like, made me like be super interested in learning about artists and stuff so i like kanye i really like anderson pock um he's a good one i went to a red rocks concert um i grew up listening to a lot of uh like classic rock so like acdc um van halen led zeppelin so yeah podcast i don't really listen to too many podcasts hills and twos of course um i i used to be like a huge city of smag podcast fan, like in college like i exclusively listen to every single episode that they had which is fun, but yeah, I don't listen to a, a ton of podcasts nowadays. So. You were on the coffee club. You're not a coffee club. I, I do listen to the co- So the thing is, it's like, I like to listen to stuff when I'm like doing things. So like if I'm cleaning my room, I'll listen to something or if I'm cooking on my own. Now that I have a girlfriend, I can't cook by myself. So I'm cooking <laughs> with her all the time. Um, but I, I would usually listen to podcasts through that. So yeah, I, you know, I would listen to coffee club. I haven't as much lately. I'm, I apologize to Morgan, Ollie, and Jordy, those, those are my boys. But, um, yeah, I just haven't been listening to much lately. But who's uh, who's a better podcast? Is it Hills and Twos or is it Coffee Club? Be careful here. <laughs> Be careful. This is a sad uh, God. Um, you guys are both good, man. Like, you're, you're – and that's, that's the easy cop-out answer. I feel like Coffee Club's had a little bit more time, you they know, like – they're also a hell of a lot faster than Shay and I yeah, are. Yeah, that's true. Uh, like, I, hey, I am an advocate for being fastest and give you an excuse to, you know, be better or have better opinions of things outside of running specifically, you know. Um, they have a, they have a good brand going and they Gus, their dog is so funny. Like, I love seeing that guy. Oh, um, the Gus Brenner account on Twitter. Oh, it's so funny. <laughs> the amount of burner accounts that are showing up on like Instagram and Twitter, it's just, it, I'm dying over it, man. Like no context, XE track. Okay, what's just your like, favorite burner account on through the the running socials nowadays? Would no context count as a burner? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, hundred so. percent. And it's that, and it's because the comments on it are so yeah. funny. Like yeah. I, I, I look forward to seeing those posts just so I can look through the comments. Those kids crack me up, man. <laughs> and like, and like the other account, like I think it's so funny. Like the other like burner accounts that like are basically like Cooper and Cole, like mock accounts. They're not really like shitting on them or anything. Like just like the amount of burners that have budded from track jeans. Track jeans is funny. I know track jeans. Yeah. He's funny. I love Twitter too. Yeah. Track jeans is good. Um, Dumb flow track is OG. Like that guy, whoever that guy is, he, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure. Who is that area kid? I think he's a Bay area kid from what I've heard. I won't get any more specific than that, but um it's Sean Laidlaw. <laughs> Imagine, bro. Imagine. I went over, straight over my head. Teammates. Yeah, no, no context is so funny though. Do you guys have a kid? Do you guys have a teammate from the Bay Area on your team? We do. Yeah, it's that kid Sean we were just talking about. If he's done flow track. What what's his last name? Laidlaw. Where'd he go to high school? No idea. He transferred to Georgetown from Hopkins. I can call him right now find out we, we can all we can also just look it up new year's no mute yourself and call him right now he's been dying yeah, yeah. To get 
new Sullivan Palm. He's been begging to get on this. In the All meantime, right. I'm going to ask Joey another listener question. All right, cool. Uh, Tim Cham said, Joey, comma, how, in all caps, can you get so gorgeous with two question marks? It's just that, it's just that Basque Iberian blood, uh-huh. you know, just Spanish blood. Spaniards are good-looking people, so, um, yeah, I don't know. My dad's an ugly mug, so it must have been from my mom or something. I don't think his identity is public, so I won't say who it is. But Track Jeans wants to know who your favorite Twitter account is, but he asked from his main account. So. He asked from it. I know who Track Jeans is, so we won't say it now. But Track Jeans is a great one. I do love Track Jeans. There's a – God, what is it? Uh, there's a really funny account that I've been seeing a lot lately, No Context Human Race, has been popping up yeah, on my yeah, uh, Twitter a lot. Yeah. Anything that's No Context, like, just makes me laugh, you know. No but context, if we're gonna go- TV show lines are good accounts, too, to follow. Yeah. Yeah, they're all good, man. I've been looking at Twitter way more than like, thank God, way more than Instagram or TikTok lately, just because like, it's so much funnier to me, like just what people are putting on there. Like, just my world has just been expanded from Twitter. Yeah. Um, someone said, the Matteo Barreto said, bring back the bags of views, question mark, exclamation point, get Mama Joan in on it. That's OG. That kid's been watching Inside Tim and Elite since day one, man. That's some 2019 shit. Yeah, I probably should get back into it. Sam, Sam did one. Sam had me do one um, when we were in LA, I think. And that was he posted on his Instagram. It was part of his like photo dump or whatever it was. Yeah, yeah. And I yeah. just re- oh yeah, it was after the mile in LA. I was in a good mood. Usually, I'm not in a good mood. So when somebody's like review <laughs> this stuff, I'm like, no, fuck you. <laughs> Someone, we're not gonna answer this one. Someone's question with a lot of question marks. So maybe it's an inside joke. I hope so. Is what's your okay? Weight? Say it again. What's your body weight? <laughs> My body weight. Jesus. I think it's that's just a general up. question, bro. <laughs> you know, you know the, like the most the most offensive thing that I've ever read about myself. It wasn't on Let's Run. It was on like Goose and I did like a like we got like an Adidas like distro like gear haul. Yeah, and yeah. we basically just like sifted through all the stuff and just like cracked jokes as we went. And somebody, I remember like I was putting on the shoes. I was like, oh, six, size 11 and a half. This is just my size. And somebody commented on the YouTube video saying like, how does Joey have such big feet? Like he looks like he's like five, six, five, seven, like 11 and a half is a big foot for that. And I'm like, that's disrespectful, man. I got, <laughs> like, I got lit up by... A girl on our team who's like an incredibly sweet girl. I won't say her name. Very nice girl. But our whole team's waiting for the elevator to go to like, I think regionals or like our biggies finals or something like that. Mm-hmm. She was like, Tim, how tall are you? And I'm like, um, I'm 6'3". She's like, no, you're not. And usually like, usually people guess taller because I'm in shoes. I'll be in like alpha flies. That's like, right. Yeah. She's like, no, you're not. I'm like, how tall do you think I am? She's I would say like 5'11". And I was like, <laughs> Duck. That's, that's a pretty big difference. And I'm standing next to like this kid, Reich, on her team. Reich is like 6'5". Yeah. Parker, who's like 6'6". Six, six. Right. I'm like, I, maybe I look smaller, but I am not four inches shorter. And she was shocked. She didn't believe yeah. me. So I was. That's I was good news for everyone that's 5'11 and under. Yeah. So. You look, you look I am 5'11". So. Yeah, you're looking good. You know, you know, it's important that I learned from the steeple. It's not how tall you are. It's what your inseam is. Jager's got like, apparently Jager's got like a 34 to 36 inch inseam. Like he's what, six one, And he's just, he's just got, he's just got legs, you know, like no wonder he can go over the Parker's got that fucking 50 inch inseam. Same with Furlick. Parker's torso is half his body. (laughs) Same with Furlick. Like he's, they just got long limbs, man. Like they just step over those things, you know? I feel like more like a soccer player compared to them. You know, I got big thighs, so I I probably belong on the pitch. I'm in the wrong sport. (laughs) Um, okay, do we want to move into this is becoming my favorite one. Questions from our moms. Shay, your mom got a question for Joey. Oh, oh this is funny. <laughs> yeah, she does. Um, my mom was wondering why did you choose Santa Clara and what was like the team culture like when you arrived there? Oh god, when I arrived there, it was like a borderline drinking club. Uh, but I chose um I chose Santa Clara because it was close to home. Uh, I, I grew up in San Mateo, which is about 30 minutes north. It's a little bit closer to Palo Alto, um, right near Stanford. So I didn't get into Stanford, so I you know, had to choose a, a second option. Um, but 
uh, it was a school that I knew I would enjoy if, even if I wasn't running, like running was something that I wanted to do. It was something I was very passionate about, but I knew that it was something that I could potentially like lose love for, you know, I knew that there was so many factors that could go into a college experience and how, you, you know, how you perform that running might not be a part of my life at some point, even if it was during college. So I, it was, a, it was definitely a place that I knew I would thrive socially and academically like it's a very strong school academically where there's a lot of connections um in the bay area specifically like you know i feel like if you if you know somebody you can get a job like just through an alumni um anywhere pretty much so a lot of my friends are working at like big tech and um like facebook and adobe linkedin google like twitter like basically wherever they wanted to go they they could go and so i knew that would be um good opportunity for me um and I also really, you know, I enjoy, I didn't know how much the team partied when I first, like when I was going on my visit and stuff, but they all got along super well. And I really enjoyed the culture. Um, and we, they had their own house, like two minutes away from campus that like eight guys lived in. And they've, the big sell was that the fact that they said they, they've had the house since 2002, which was insane. This was 2012, 2013 at the time. And just to see that, like, through the years that these guys were just able to like keep this like sanctuary of running on like somewhere near campus was like really cool. And, you know, I lived in that house for four years and we still have the house. So we're going on 20 years of the cross country team, having that house and everything. And um, the team culture is much better now in terms of like a running perspective. Like we, the kids actually give a shit about running and they're performing well. So yeah, I just knew it would be a great spot for me, whether I was running or not. And, Obviously, Felipe was a huge sell for me, too. He was somebody that resonated with me super well in terms of he's like, I'm going to develop you into, you know, we're not going to throw you against the wall and like have you run 80 miles a week. I ran 40 miles a week in high school. So he's like, well, we'll build you up like you'll get good come your senior year, but it's going to take some time. And that's, you know, that that process oriented mindset was something I really, really liked. And um, yeah, I want to oh, I guess the biggest thing that I I guess just reminded me of that was we sucked. Like we were really bad. Like we were consistently bottom half of the, the conference. Um, and I wanted to help build something. Um, it's not like I had an option to like go to a big school that like was top five in the NCAA anyways, but I wanted to help build a program to be better off, you know, when I left than when I started. And I feel like that was something I was able to accomplish, um, me and my teammates, which was awesome. So, uh, follow-up question. So yeah. you said there was a borderline, you know, drinking club when you arrived there, yeah. eight guys in one house. What is the craziest thing that happened your freshman year as much as you can dive into my freshman year? Uh, any I, or just when you got there. Yeah. Anyways. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, fun fact, I didn't start drinking until uh, like my second semester, my freshman year. I wasn't, I like, wasn't a big party. I was like pretty straight arrow in high school and, um, it's funny. Once I started drinking, I started getting really good at running, which was bad. Like I like started drinking and I was, you know, I like a 408 miler being like a, you know, being a 417 guy in high school. So, um, God, the craziest thing that happened, there was just like, just general debauchery. I feel like, and I'm trying to think of anything, just nothing bad happened to me. I was like too scared to do anything too crazy. Cause I didn't want to get in trouble. Like I was, I was basically like a captain starting my sophomore year. So I kind of had to be like the dad of the group. Um, it was funny watching like the freshmen do stuff, but uh, we. Uh, Shay was that freshman. What? Shay was that Shay freshman. Was that freshman. Yeah, we won't I, die I won't, on that. <laughs> I won't say who, but the funniest thing that I witnessed was one of the, it was my junior year. One of the freshman girls was at a frat party, like welcome week. And for some reason was on the roof of the house, jumped off the roof to like go home, shattered both of her heels and had to be in boots for like a month and was walking around campus and fucking boots. And it was the funniest shit. And like, I knew she like screwed around too much. So I was like, you deserve this. Like <laughs> this, like you deserve the shame walking around in boots. Cause you can't, cause you don't give a shit about running. You just want to party with frat guys. Like it was so funny. There was a lot of, there was just general debauchery in the house but like nothing like we didn't get the cops called on us a lot like we're in like a pretty like secluded neighborhood of just college kids so um it's funny we actually did host like our whole neighborhood we would host uh an event every year called Cinco de Alvisos and it's just a Cinco de Mayo 
know, a party on our block where one year there was at least like 1500 to 2000 kids just in our little like cul-de-sac just like belligerently drunk and cops showed up and next thing you know like people are throwing like bottles at them and stuff and i was like i gotta get out of here kids were just being like slammed up against the garage by cops being put in cops i was like i gotta go like this is this is my time but yeah santa clara gets a little crazy sometimes but i i didn't want to be too much a part of it because um just because i didn't want to get in trouble oh you know what there's a really good story that i feel like is worth telling because it's just a classic if you guys have the time um no please we had we we started some pretty good traditions when i was like as we were going on because the younger guys were like really into the idea of like doing things as a team which was great like the traditions at like my freshman year were just like oh we just throw a birthday party for this guy and like just invite everybody over to the house but like we started doing stuff as a team which really like solidified like really good team culture in my fifth year we decided to go uh we decided to have like a Christmas party at our house, just the guys team. We didn't even invite the girls team. We didn't invite anybody else outside of our team just cause like we loved each other so much. And so everybody like put on their Christmas sweaters and shit. Like we had guys make like hard, hard cider and, you know, uh, spiked eggnog and, and everything. We had this huge dinner, like 25 guys in our, in our living room. I have a picture of it somewhere. It's just the most beautiful picture ever. Um, of just us like all hammered off our ass like just drinking hard cider and eggnog and we had a piano in our house like we got a piano off of craigslist um that year and it was in our house and we had a guy who was super musically gifted so we started singing christmas carols while he was playing on the piano and somebody came up with the bright idea like let's go walk around like the neighborhood because like off campus was like very like santa clara student heavy um, and like a couple of blocks, like, let's go to like different houses, of course, like all the girls houses and like Christmas Carol around the neighborhoods, which was a terrible idea. And so we all take our mugs, obviously filled with alcohol. And we just start walking around the neighborhood and start Christmas caroling. And it was so well received. Everybody loved it. Like people were like posting about it on like their Snapchat stories and shit. Instagram stories wasn't a thing yet. So it's Snapchat stories. It was a great time. And then somebody like, again, somebody came up with a bright idea. It's like, let's go into the freshman dorm and like sing to them because like there was a tradition that like in the, cause like there's a freshman dorm now specifically a party dorm and everybody would yell at like their dorm in the morning saying like, wake up swig. Cause the name was called swig hall. Cause like, you know, all the kids would be hung over and not rolling out of bed till like midday. Right. So we're like, let's go to swig and Christmas carol to them. So 25 guys just storm into this freshman, freshman dorm. And immediately the, the person at the front desk was like, just get the fuck out. Like you are not allowed to do this. And we just start singing anyway. <laughs> and then the like actual, like she calls like the RA or like the head RA. And so he comes down and he's yelling at us and everything like, get out. And we're like, fine, fine. So we get out. And so we go to the other side of the dorm where like, it's just like a straight up, like the 12 stories of, freshman like rooms and we start singing out there on the street and so the guy comes out and is basically just like yelling us and everything and like some of us are like a little too intoxicated so as i said in the report some words were exchanged somebody may have told him to go die in a hole um it, but eventually like we rally everybody and we go back to our house and then I get an email from my coach the next day being like what the fuck did you guys do last night like I got a report from the guy in like the dorm that you were just being ridiculous. And so I had to go have a meeting with my coach. And basically I told him everything that happened dumbed down a little bit, but what ended up happening was that we were all reported, like all 25 of us were reported and we had to like go through like the student administration or whatever it is. And like basically go under like a trial of sorts to see like what repercussions are going to be. And like, we made it this whole thing where like we, like we all planned out our stories. Like a couple of us got summoned in to like be like interrogated by like the student administration. And like, we got the first guy to like essentially get a copy of the report of what the like RA had like said about like what we were doing. And we basically like cleaned up our story and everything. It was this, it was this huge group effort to essentially like get us out of this. And everybody had the same clean story and we got out of it. No repercussions whatsoever. Like some of us had to like write an apology letter to the kid because we swore at him and somebody said, go die in a hole, but um, neither here nor there. But uh, yeah, it was just like the most beautiful, like well-organized 
effort that we had ever done, you know, and like, we we're obviously like we were running at our best and, but just like that whole like story was like, that brought us even closer as a team because a, we had so much fun doing the Christmas caroling B we had to like get our way out of essentially like being fined or put on probation or, or like, I don't think we're, we didn't do anything bad to get suspended, but essentially like it was, it was just so much fun. And that was like the biggest team thing that we did. And the guys were so close, like, cause we just did shit like that, you know? That's fun. That's yeah. Cool. It was a good time. Tim, what's your mom's question? My mom will, we'll finish up with my mom's question. So she did a deep dive social media stock on you. So uh, she noticed you have a girlfriend. So she said, uh, how does he balance a long-term relationship with running and traveling and the mental exhaustion that comes from running? It's tough for sure. Um, Roxanne, my girlfriend, she's the most beautiful human inside and out. She's great. Um, she's been super supportive. And I think that's one of the big things. Like I'm 27 years old now. Like I feel like my biggest trouble with dating early on was that like, most people wouldn't like truly take what I was doing seriously. Like they wouldn't truly understand that this was like, not like a lifelong pursuit, but that this was super important to me and it was worth pushing life aside because of that. And at the end of the day, like running was the priority for me. Like it was super important that I continue my running. Like I wasn't going to go out like in Boulder. I wasn't going to like drink a lot. I wasn't going to be super social. Like I was essentially like, I'm all in on this. Like I didn't move out here to like party and screw around a ton, you know, like, Granted, there's a time and place for everything, but a lot of people, like, you know, a lot of, you know, a lot, but girls that I had seen beforehand, um, wouldn't understand that. And that was something that I really struggled with. And so I think she's just somebody that's been super understanding and willing to work with me through that. Like she understands my lifestyle is a little tough and, you know, the traveling stuff, you know, but granted it's only for a couple weekends at a time. I won't talk about uh, you know, the six week trip that's coming up that I get to go on to Europe while she stays here and has to work, but yeah, it's tough, but you you find the right person and, um, that's very supportive. And it's just like, she allows me to be me at the end of the day. And part of being me is like going all in on this running, you know, even though I've been, you know, I've been doing it for four years now. And I feel like I learn more and more every year about how to get better at it. And, she doesn't question it. You know, obviously sometimes she's confused as to some habits that I do because, you know, runners are weird. Right. But um, yeah, she doesn't question it. And she's just like, I'm all in for you. And as I'm all in for her in terms of what she wants to do for her life. So it's a very special relationship. She's great. And um, it's not hard when it's like that, you know, like there's been very little resistance or friction when it comes to any of that, which was, you know, I was very like adverse to, dating per se because of those occurrences that had happened in the past but when it's so easy to do it with someone that's so supportive of you you know it's a no-brainer so yeah it's a very wholesome question from your mom for <laughs> sure <laughs> awesome well, my girlfriend's gonna love that she's gonna listen to this right. too yeah um, she's gonna have to listen all the way through then get us our stream all the way through. i know she probably will but i don't <laughs> even have to bring it up to her <laughs> well Shay, you got anything else I'm I'm dry. I got it. I'm dry as well. Well, best of luck in Hungary. Best of luck your training block going in. Thank so, you guys. Good time. I would definitely keep up with you this summer and uh, going to Budapest. Yeah, appreciate the conversation. You guys are doing great. Like, just continue to do what you do. And I've always liked, you know, following along with Georgetown. 